Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Gordian Brown, co-founder and CEO of OneTool. The first strategic choice that we had to do is do we do long sales cycles with a lot of consulting effort or do we do what I call funnel automation? A lot of people will say, especially in the VC industry, if you are a B2B enterprise product, then do enterprise sales. Whereas we decided to do the opposite and saying, no, we want the more customer-centered approach around this. And we want to make it so easy that people can start using the whole thing in 10 minutes. And that's obviously a very challenging decision because on the one side, you spend hours optimizing your product and you cannot really sell something if it's not perfect. On the other side, you have the highest demands on yourself and you know what you would like to be using rather than what our competition is offering. This is Gordian. He's bilingual, analytical and a highly creative leader experienced in entrepreneurship and innovation. He's got a strong passion for product marketing, performance marketing, product management and development and business development. He started his career as a financial analyst and quickly after that became a co-founder of a music record label in 2010. In 2015, he co-founded his first startup, Locana. He went back into the financial world by joining G51 Amplify Venture Capital, after which he became the Director of Growth and Business Acceleration at Clever Shuttle in 2017. In 2019, he then co-founded OneTool, where he acts as a CEO. OneTool is on a mission to solve the daily chaos and outrageous fees that small and medium-sized businesses encounter when it comes to managing SaaS subscriptions, software uses, and access rights. That inspired me, and hence I invited Gordian to my podcast. We explore what's broken in the SaaS market when it comes to managing those subscriptions and the uses and access of it. The sheer simplicity of adopting SaaS solutions is growing the problem every day. We discuss what's missing and what's required to solve the problem. We dig deep on what it took to create a solution that stands out from the pack and what mindsets tech entrepreneurs need to embrace to shape a software business that creates products that their customers cannot live without. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, by approaching things differently gives you powers that are hard to beat by competitors. Secondly, that becoming a great entrepreneur is about shipping fast, not perfect, being open-minded and don't worry too much. 
Thirdly, that just because you spent five years on something, trying to make it perfect, doesn't mean it's going to be perfect eventually. And fourthly, why it's essential for every CEO to not have one mentor, but to surround yourself with a lot of the right people around key aspects. Well, hi, Gordian. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast today. And yeah, share the story about your company, OneTool. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure actually how this all came about, but at some point I got I got a notion of your company, which I found interesting because it, it actually helped me to find one tool that I've started to use myself, being a portal for, for SaaS applications. So we're going to talk about that, yeah, the story of your company, the big idea behind it uh, in a couple of minutes. I'm always interested to see a little bit or hear a little bit about the person behind the company. Sure. Since you are the founder. So if you would have to describe yourself in a couple of words, what, what characterizes you? I think it was just, if it was just one word, I would say different, you know, throughout like, you know, going through kindergarten and then high school and so on. Like I was always the guy who did things differently than everyone else. Not necessarily in a bad or weird way, but you know, I think in business, they always call it like early adopters or people that are just spread out and do different things. And I think that's, that, would, that is what characterizes me, a yeah, generalist who does things differently. Very good. I think that's an excellent characteristic to have if you start a company like yours. Because it's about, you know, I mean, one of my chapters in my book, The Remarkable Effect, is actually labeled like that. Try to, well, remarkable software companies are aimed to be different, not just better. So Even though I see a lot of tendencies, especially in the European ecosystem of startups that, you know, we often, we don't do necessarily crazy new stuff, but we, we do things better. And I think that's also what our reputation, especially in Germany stands for, you know, German engineering, making things better, yeah, but true. the crazy ideas, they come, for example, from America. Yeah. Yeah. The crazy ideas. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I mean, talking about like the story towards your company, when did you found it, One Tool? We found One Tool in the middle of 2019, so a little bit more than a year ago now. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought I saw. Yeah. So, what's the big idea behind your company? What is the big problem that you saw that was crying or screaming for a solution like this? Yeah, yeah. So you've got to know this is my fourth startup, and you know I've always been around these high growth startups, and what always happens is that you end up in what I call the SaaS chaos. You know, you grow rapidly, you onboard a lot of employees, and then eventually you just spend hours or even days each month chasing invoices, not knowing what you're subscribed to because everyone just brings in different SaaS tools or software tools, and everyone just wants to use the ones that they got accommodated with. And that is so annoying that we decided to put all these SaaS tools together into one platform, which is called One Tool, that helps you not only to discover new SaaS tools, but also to subscribe to them and then to eventually manage them all in one single place so that you actually never have to leave One Tool again to, you know, administer your, your software stack in the company. Sounds like indeed a pretty big problem. And, and not only for indeed SaaS startups, but particularly, of course, the, the larger companies. And I've seen this problem already starting to exist when I was still at Unit 4 and we were looking into the whole mobile chaos, mobile apps, everybody bringing their own mobile apps, <laughs> bring your own device, for example, that whole thing. But Absolutely. of course, the same thing is true for SaaS applications. So yeah, yeah we it's, can um, see it when we look to our clients inside their application stack. 
like in 75% of the cases, they do not even know what kind of SaaS tools they're using, you know? And then once you analyze it deeper, you, sure. you figure out that, you know, the SaaS spend is just incredibly high, sometimes four or five, $6,000 per year per user, yeah. per single user. Yeah. And maybe 30, 20, 30% of that spend is not even of used applications. They just sit around and no one uses them and no one knows sure. about it. I must say that, I mean, I may, maybe have the same problem here with my own company and I'm, I'm just me, you know, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you just lose track of it. You subscribe and it just sits there. You completely agree with that. So, I mean, what, what's, what strikes me is, wasn't there anything out there on the marketplace that did this already? I mean, it's always bad to say no. There's always something that does do it sure. similarly, but I think we're truly the first ones like integrating it that deeply so that it actually works from just one single platform. But yes, what is out there is on the one side is SaaS and software analytics software. And then on the other side, what is called provisioning and single sign-on or identity software. You know, this is mainly used by big corporates because it also takes quite some while to set it all up. You know, we're sure. talking months. And on the other side, the, the analytics software only helps you to analyze your SaaS stack, which is a big step, but it doesn't allow you to take actions. And what we try to do with one tool is to combine these two worlds together into just one thing so that we basically develop an own standard that you can do provisioning and you know, new license generation with. And on the other side, also see the analytics about what's going on in your company. Exactly. So you start to measure what, like, what is actually used. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I see. I know, of course, there's plenty of app stores around the world, and I've recently been looking, for example, at Salesforce, you know, the app, the app exchange. And there's multiple examples of that, but they are really vendor or platform oriented, and not beyond that. So yeah. I mean, yeah. And I think in this case, it's also very interesting. You know, every one of the big players has it, like a Salesforce app exchange or HubSpot Marketplace, and so yeah. on. And I think the theory around this is they want to add onto their existing platform. They are already a platform, but if they add on different products of different yeah. third-party applications, people are feeling fine on their platform, continuing using their product. Whereas we approach it a little bit differently by saying, choose best of breed tools. Choose as many as you want. If they are come from, coming from different vendors, you don't have to care anymore because it's all managed in one application. That's true. One invoice, yeah, one, one yeah. source to, uh, to find it all out. So what is the opportunity if you get this right? Like, what do you see as a before and after for your customers when they start using this? Well, there's different parts of it. But for, for example, for the finance teams and the accounting teams, it's of course what you just said, one invoice. You don't have to chase hundreds of invoices anymore for all the different SaaS tools that you're using. For the CIOs and CFOs, it's especially security and overview of what's being used. But then, and this is also the first company that is doing that, it's very customer focused. We want our customers, which are also the employees, to have it as easy as possible. And in their case, it means being able to log into a new tool without having to register for it. Just one click, they're in, they can try it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of made me think about something else. I mean, you can have the tool and the CIO can say, okay, here is the tool. But how do you get the, the rest of the organization to adopt it? I think that's the main challenge. And that brings me to another kind of section here on the, on the, for the podcast in delivering this, in creating this. You said, you, you, well, the company started about a year ago, which is short. What were a couple of design choices that you, or yeah, strategic products choices that you took about to make this a product that is going to get that adoption? 
Yeah, I think the first strategic choice that we had to do is do we do long sales cycles with a lot of consulting effort or do we do what I call funnel automation? You know, yeah. no salespeople involved. You get on the website, you understand what's going on and you can start using the product within five minutes in your setup. And, you know, a lot of people will say, especially in the VC industry, if you are a B2B enterprise product, then do enterprise sales. Whereas we decided to do the opposite and saying, no, we want the more customer-centered approach around this. And we want to make it so easy that people can start using the whole thing in 10 minutes. And that's obviously a very challenging decision because on the one side, you spend hours optimizing your product and you cannot really sell something if it's not perfect. On the other side, you have the highest demands on yourself and you know what you would like to be using rather than what our competition is offering. Yeah, exactly. Typically, it's an approach for buy. Yeah, it's product-led growth almost. You get people addicted through their first experience and then it grows from there, from within. Exactly, yeah. I don't like this buzzword too much because it's everyone's mouth right now, but yeah. it's pretty much that approach. You know, in the SaaS industries, a lot of people talk about you know, funnel conversions and customer lifetime value. And what it is yeah. really doing, it, it's not optimizing in terms of customer lifetime value in terms of of you know, having long sales circuits and then and high annual contract value, but having a strong customer lifetime value in terms of having cheap acquisition costs. So do you also use it? I mean, the companies that are on your platform, do they see it as a channel? Yes. To sell more? Yeah. On the one side, of course, it's always good because they get backlinks and more media attention and so on if they are on our website and cooperating with us. On the other side, of course, it's a new channel for them. It's not only that you can integrate your existing licenses with these tools, but if you want to subscribe to a new tool, you can actually do that. And for that, that means new customers that they get for free. True. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually a two-way mechanism here. There's on the one side, the pool from the CIO that wants to get things under control and get the rest of the company to source their applications from there. And on the other end, of course, is the push or the bot pull from the vendor side that want to be part of this. Now, I did some research recently around a couple of app stores, and that was exactly a question that, that I tried to answer. Be, having all those app, app exchanges available, what do these individual vendors, how do you say that, promote or prefer when the traffic is going to their own website or to the app store? Yeah, that's yeah. an interesting choice in itself. And I think we made also a very interesting strategic decision around this because it's not in our interest to know to own our customers and to not give our vendors that are part of our system access to these to these customers. We're a strong believer in, in best of breed software tools. That means they should still keep the customers. As long sure. as we can manage the intersection between the usage yeah. and the subscription, completely fine with us if they get the customers. Yeah, exactly. But that happens at the end if this intersection is if there's value for both, that you get to sort of the win-win-win situation. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah. So being on this very on this short journey and kind of pulling together a product from zero to well to available, what have been the yeah the toughest part of this journey? You know what was interesting is when we first started that, and that was like you know months before we actually got accepted to Y Combinator, which eased things a little bit. Uh -huh. But when we first started that, every investor and everyone would always tell us it's not possible to create custom integrations. You know, this is a new standard that we developed, where SaaS vendors would dog onto it to make it accessible in your platform. And you know, well, one year later we have over 150 of them, and it is possible. 
So we never anticipated that this would actually be super easy. It was not super easy, but we managed it. But we always managed it's easier to get the customers than on board and the companies. And then, you know, we slid into the Corona times where especially during March and April in 2020, nothing was really happening on a potential customer side. And, you know, this turned out to be really challenging, something that we needed to crack first before we actually could continue improving our product. Let me make a small interruption here. Gordian just made a critical remark about what became the breakpoint towards creating momentum with his platform. He solved the integration challenge. Instead of following the advice of the so-called experts, they decided to make the impossible happen. This not only gave them highly defensible differentiation, it also took away some of the core obstacles for adoption, especially in times of COVID, where any out-of-pocket cost or factors delaying adoption of new solutions is a no-no. It's a trait that remarkable software companies master. They go deep instead of staying shallow. They remove critical roadblocks for adoption and create new value possibilities. And that creates momentum. And you can master these traits as well. And I have two options for you to start. First, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect. And you can find that on Amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of like-minded people, tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com and see the videos where many of your peers share their experience about our tribe and what they've come to value most. Back to the interview. So has the COVID pandemic been an advantage to you for your business or has it been yeah, something like, okay, well, like a challenge that you rather didn't have? Because I can also see at the end that could be a really a, yeah, a push to start using these tools for real. Yeah, I think the honest answer is I don't know because we don't have a comparable time frame from the year sure. before. Yeah. But what I can say is that it's incredibly hard to get contact in contact with the right people to sell this solution at this time because everyone is just busy, especially in March and April, May. Everyone was just busy in rescuing what they already had. But it's also getting easier right now. We've seen you know strong company and user increase the last four, five, six weeks. So I don't know, but it could be positive, could also be negative. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but at the end, I think when the realization is coming that everybody's working from home, everybody needs to use their own their, their tool. Maybe they are starting to use new tools as a consequence of this, that the mess at the company side is just getting bigger and bigger. So it's... Absolutely. Um, yeah, I would bet on that. What I'm always interested in is to see if there's a, kind of all along the journey, were there any surprising byproducts that came out of this that you didn't expect, but happened to make the difference? Yeah, I think in our case, it is really the the marketplace Stripe integration. You know, we always thought that Stripe is this very developed payment processing model. And when you're based in two regions, the United States and in Germany, so European Union, you have to comply with very different VAT and tax rules. And being a marketplace like this forces you to actually be compliant to a lot of different countries' taxes. And this is something that even Stripe hasn't figured out yet. So we had to custom develop this. And it could may, may as well be a potential business here. But for now, we're only using it internally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, completely. I mean, tell me, tell me something about the European Union and the fact that everything is still not so union. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, talking about this, the fact that, yeah, the selling part and COVID being in between, 
What was the biggest learning factor that you got from bringing this to market and kind of swinging on your sales engine? I think biggest learning factor is that cold emailing, the way it has been in the last years, is dead. You know, and that's also why we switched towards funnel marketing. Like people are getting so tired of getting 200 emails every day into their inbox, all with very long sales pitches. And so what we try to do if we want to make get some attention is to keep the emails as short as possible and to put an automated video behind it or even a demo so that people can instantly check it out. Because we also often got the feedback that they don't want to join a first qualification call anymore. And then a second, you know, let's figure with our account manager what we can offer you call and then five weeks setup time. True. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with that. And that's also, I think something that got pretty clear during COVID as well. I mean, during COVID, of course, even more email went out. And it's all about, you know, making it easy for your customer, resonating around the right problem. And yeah, don't create more noise. It needs yeah, to be exactly. super, super relevant and you need to res resonate. That's, that's well advised. And I think it's interesting how you solve that through automation there. I mean, you know, uh, I wrote my book, The Remarkable Effects, and that I also want, yeah, to have a little bit of a discussion around that since you've already been founding five, four companies, you four startup. So what do you believe if you look at yeah, creating the startups or creating the software business that people keep talking about? What do you believe are traits that you just need to have? Oh, I love this question because I did not only found four startups, I also studied entrepreneurship in my master's. Oh, really? And you know, there's a big difference between what the theory says and what I think the practice is. And... Yeah, long answer short, I do not believe that you can learn entrepreneurship, you know, and that being said from a guy who studied it in his master's degree, I think certain traits are always to be a generalist. You know, I think if you start a company, you have to be comfortable in taking risks and comfortable in taking risks means drafting the first legal contracts yourself. Doesn't matter if it's 100% accurate or not, or making the first design yourself or being able to, I don't know, set up domain names and DNS records and doing lots of different steps on various edges of this world to just come up with an idea and prototype it. Yeah. And I think this is nothing that you can learn in two, two weeks or, or even two years. It's probably something that you have been living with since you grew up because you've always done and tried out lots of, lots of different things. True. Yeah. And that comes again, well, that goes again into like trying things out failing if you fail and then learn from that and move it on. And pretty much because what I see a lot in the stories that I have of the very, well, the 150 interviews I did for my podcast, one thing comes up, there is no path. You know, yeah. there is it's no, also no way. I, you know, this question in interviews, when people ask you, you know, what do you see yourself in five years? Like, I hate this question. I think it's the worst question you could like ask anyone, because if you're not looking for this one guy who's just following orders Like, this is the worst question, because if you had asked me where I would be in five years, I would have been completely wrong. Like five years ago, I thought I would maybe be a corporate lawyer or something, you know, yeah. <laughs> but definitely not where I am today. Not definitely not doing what I am doing today. No, correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, five years is way too much. I mean, 12 months is maybe something that you can bridge, but still it's, uh, yeah, it's a good point. So what are the key learnings? Well, what, yeah, from the four startups, kind of just going also beyond a little bit beyond OneTool.co, what has been, yeah, learnings that kept with you that you sort of cherish for the rest of your life or something that you wish they would have told you? Yeah, I think one of the learnings is 
be fast and don't worry too much. You know, I think, you know, there's this Pareto principle rule or 80-20 rule that 20% effort gives you 80% success. And I'm a big believer in it, but even more so, it's more psychological. You know, if you worry about everything that you're doing, you know, could this contract be wrong? Could this design be not likable and so on? You waste up so much time just worrying and not doing. And I think this would be my biggest recommendation because I was one of the people that, you know, tended to worry a lot about things because I wanted to make everything perfect, but there's no yeah. such thing as perfect. And actually, the more you get out with stuff, the better the product gets. And just because you spent five years working on something, trying to make it perfect doesn't mean it's going to be perfect eventually. No, exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. like, what is the definition? And for everybody yeah. else, for anybody that is perfect, it's, it's, it's something different. And then I like this. Yeah. Another learning that I would say, and that I also really like is, you get lots of input from various angles, customers, stakeholders, I don't know, investors, friends, and so on. And if you take every advice by heart, it probably destroys you. And, you know, you've got to, it feels like getting punched in the face every day and then standing up again, but you've got to learn how to separate good input from bad input. And in a lot of cases, the input is not good input. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to kind of, yeah, I agree. Well, at least if you take it literally. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's you never. You always have to apply it to, to to what you value yourself, and yeah, otherwise you can go flat on your face. So, is there anything that you? I mean, like, what is your biggest business regret? What would you do different? For example, also with the one year that you're now into one two, what would you? Yeah, would there be anything that you would do different? That's always a tough one. I think there's a reason why why we are where we are today so i yeah. do not think i would really do anything different i think even if it went completely wrong something i learned from this that's why i am here but looking back in general at my entrepreneurial career what i would do different is probably start earlier yeah it goes back to your you point know? about be fast don't worry yeah start yeah earlier. and also back to our point how especially we europeans how we get raised you know we get raised like you've got to go to academic high school then you go study and then you do your master's degree and ideally you do your phd and only then you're worth something for society and that's just not true and that's something that i did myself like i felt forced into the system where i had to have all these degrees before i actually could start with my career and yeah. i think this should not be the case yeah, and then you end up there, you got your PhD in, in history, and you end up <laughs> in a completely <laughs> different industry. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. And I mean, there needs to be a balance. I mean, too little is also not good, unless you you just have all the guts and all the all the internal wisdom to, to make it happen. And of sure. course, there are fantastic examples of that. But too much is also not good. So I'm, actually, I was, I was intrigued by your po first point about doing things differently. What do you do with your company and with your team to keep that thinking differently going? That's a very good question. I can honestly say it's, it's really hard because it comes down to, you know, how you, do you portray this culture or your values into a culture? Exactly. And people don't change. People are the, the way people are. So number one answer is I don't want anyone or everyone to be like me. Yeah? I think it's great to have diversity, but I, what I want to do is like to keep at least the core values, you know, being fast, executing fast, being open-minded, being friendly towards things and seeing opportunities, not only seeing risks. And, you know, these are the five or I don't know how many mentioned, just five traits or so that we've really filtered through 
when we do our hirings and applications. We never look at cover letters. We never look at anything else, but we have a custom designed, you know, it's not really a personality test, but it asks you several questions that are contradicting itself. And when we realize you're answering them and they contradict, you don't get invited to the interview. And that's how we make sure that the people that we work with, they at least fit into these, these values. And then of course they should just be themselves. I'm not forcing anyone to be, be like me. No, no, I mean, yeah. I completely agree. And I, I truly believe in diversity as well. But I, what I also believe in is, in, well, is that it's the team that does the trick and not the individual. Yeah, so how do you, how, yeah, it's creating that culture and the bond between people. But you know what I think, especially now during COVID times, it gets incredibly hard because yes, everyone talks about having video conferences and so on. But let's be honest, like we're now at a point, at least in my life, where I'm getting really, really, annoyed by having so many video calls and one thing that really doesn't get i don't know even portrayed through video calls is your culture you know working with your team it's a really hard challenge how you keep that culture that you initially had while you were still working in the office yeah yeah true talking about that video doesn't will never be able to live up to that I always thought that maybe VR should be the next thing and like this should be the perfect timing for it because maybe you can portray culture if you work in a three-dimensional environment. But so far, it hasn't picked up on the pandemic. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think maybe a couple of years to wait still that we get the bandwidth for that as well. It reminds me at the end of also a conversation I had with Paul Zak, who is the chief immersion officer at Immersion. He's got some tools whereby you can actually f- sense how people feel. And especially, of course, in this time of age, Interesting. where you've got... Well, normally you had teams together in the office and people were working together and you could really check in on each other, like, how are you doing and so on. That was easy, but now it's not. So, I mean, now it provides people at least with something that is in a distributed environment. You can still start to feel what's really going on inside people's minds without them saying it while you're on calls like this, But which is interesting. Yeah, because you seem to make a, a little bit of, how do you say that? Your body produces something that's where you can able to be to detect those type of yeah emotions. So maybe it's it's the closer by than we think. But still, that's, yeah. that doesn't say anything about culture. So what are you most proud of achieving so far with this company? Being out there, companies are using it. I mean, are there any anecdotes from come from customers that said you know this has transformed the way we operate as a business or anything like that? Yeah, I hope that you know when we hear that, of course, that makes me really proud. But I think one of the Biggest things with this company that I experienced was, you know, getting accepted to Y Combinator and being part of this really awesome cohort because it's not so much the name, you know, that makes you proud, but the people that you start to work with. And and these people that I got to know there, you know, we had half of our batch, which was the winter 2020 batch, was still not virtual. So the people that we met during this not virtual time were, well, it's just amazing. I was really cool to open your mind and to see which directions you could go into. So that's an, that's an interesting kind of side segue here. Do you also in, well, beyond Y Combinator, or if you were ever leave Y Combinator, believe that yeah, it, your success is depending on also the people outside of your company? What do you do to actively have that, the, the right people around you? Yeah, interesting question. You know, some people say they work a lot with mentors and then Uh these mentors help them out a lot. But I think in my case, I would not say that. You know, I 
you tend to get to know a lot of people around yourself, like experts in performance marketing and I don't know, PR and whatever you're looking for. And what I, my goal is to know the right people in any of these aspects that I can ask. So rather than having one mentor, I basically yeah, see all my peers and all the re people around me as my mentors. And sure. whenever I have a special topic, I'm just trying to figure out who the person is that could answer it. And yeah. today I think there's pretty much a person that can answer it for any question. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. But that's it at the end. It's like, it's a valuable asset to build because it's, yeah. It, otherwise you just end up in the echo chamber. Yeah. 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 I mean, being, being the entrepreneur yourself, I mean, there's a lot of course things that you can discuss with your employees, but uh, there's also a lot of things that they will never give you the right answer for because yeah, yeah, exactly. at the end you are the boss. It's, and in the end, sometimes it's just a text message away and all of, all of a sudden you have an answer that you've been looking for for weeks. Yeah. Exactly. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So from all the tidbits of wisdom that you get it over time, if you would advise, well, a, someone that desires to be an entrepreneur or someone that wishes to kind of grow their company to the next level, what would be an advice that you would apply or to give? Don't overthink. Just do it. Yeah, that goes back to a couple of things we, we said before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't overthink. No, I mean, that's very practical. I mean, I actually end my book with that. You know, it, yeah. it all, there's a chapter called like, it's, it all seems crazy until it's not. And yeah, just start. Yeah, exactly. That advice is and so practical. That's literally it. And I know how hard that barrier is because, you know, you, you're stuck in a good job. You have a decent pay. Yeah. It's uncertain what's going to happen to you in the future. But let's be honest, like in these today's, society and economy there's very little to worry about you know even if you completely fail for a year yes what you lost is a lot of time you know spending time with your friends and girlfriends and i don't know wife and so on because you started yeah. out something big but that's literally the only thing because you will always get a new job if you that's want the problem and that's the problem not only at an individual level but also at a company level one of the things that i see is as big thing that's holding companies back is that they kind of got, they are too hung up on sunk costs. Yeah. Yeah, we've invested so much in this. Yeah. Throw it all away. Yeah. I mean, well, let's see, same, you know, we see these effects over and over again, also in securities trading with stocks that people say, hey, I just lost half of my assets in this stock, but now it's the right time because it's so low to buy again. Like this is the worst stock trading mistake you could do, but people do it over and over again. And it's the True. exact same effect. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly right. Yeah, completely agree. So if there's, I mean, people listening to this podcast, talking about the wider audience, the diversity, what would be your big ask if you would ask them for help? How can they help you? Huh. That is an interesting one. And I'm really not prepared for that answer. Like how they could help me is, of course, right now by signing up to one tool and giving real feedback, you know, yeah. a lot of the signups that you get, you never hear feedback. And that's certainly one of my biggest challenges right now getting actually to know what people think. Um, yeah. Other than that, always open to chatting and to getting to new people, new, new people. Okay. Well, that's a nice one into closing these off. So where can people go to find out more about your company and to say hi to you? To find out more about my company, they can go to onetool.co. Yeah. And to find more about me is on LinkedIn. If you type in Gordian Braun and I will be available there. Yeah. Special name because I mean... The Gordian part, it's the first time I actually hear that name. So it's once in my life I met someone else who's also whose name is also Gordian on a right. convention. <laughs> I mean you're talking about differently again. Maybe that's where it all started. It started with the name. <laughs> yes. Well 
Well, thank you very much, Gordy. Well, to your insights, to the well, the wisdom that you shared about the journey that you've been uh, been on, explaining the big idea behind your company and how that idea came along, and which is funny enough again something that bothers you yourself, and then just do something about it to solve it rather than keep moaning about it. Yeah. Thank you so it. much, Tom, for having me. It was a lot of fun, and hope I, we can do that again. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. And this ends my conversation with Gordian. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Gordian Brown, co-founder and CEO of OneTool. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.